Revelation 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to By the Word of Their Testimony, and here is your host, Rod Butler. Hello, listeners. Welcome to our program. So glad you could join us. My guest today is Caleb Christian. I first met Caleb in 1985 in Sydney at the Ride Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was newly arrived from Perth and he was newly arrived from Melbourne. We were two young graduate electrical engineers just starting out in our professions, and those were the days. We had a lot in common and became good friends. Caleb followed work back to Melbourne in the early 90s, got married, and then followed work to Perth. We were both really busy with life, and apart from the occasional catch-up on the phone, I stayed in Sydney and eventually and gradually lost touch with Caleb for over 20 years. We connected again in a dramatic way in December of 2017. Since that time, we've been very close, with regular calls each week. Caleb's walk with God in the last five years has been remarkable. We are speaking with Caleb on Skype from Melbourne, and welcome, Caleb. Thanks, Rob. Before we have our um, discussion, Caleb, let's just bow for prayer. Gracious Father, Uh, We bow before you, we thank you and praise you for how you care for us in all circumstances of our lives. May the Holy Spirit bless our discussion now, and all honour and glory be to you, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, Caleb, you were born in Alexandria in Egypt, migrated to Australia as a young boy, grew up in Melbourne in the 60s and 70s in the tough southeastern suburbs. Tell us how um, a young Egyptian migrant became a Seventh-day Adventist. Well, it's a bit of a story. Um, We were, at that time, uh, very nominal Christians. But uh, we had a family friend uh, who was in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And uh, this lady had a word with my mother and my father and uh, indicated that, uh, you know, the children are growing up and they really should grow up in a in a more holistic Christian environment. And uh, she highly recommended that uh, my father, the family, take us to the church. Father, being prudent, uh, decided to go a few weeks on his own. Uh, He went to the local Seventh-day Adventist church. He'd always walk in, sit at the back pew next to the back door, just to make a quick exit if he needed to. (laughs) (laughs) And um, after a couple of weeks, through what he'd seen, he realized that, in fact, that there was something here and there was something that we sorely lacked. So um, he came home and he wanted us to go with it to church the following week, the following Sabbath. Now, this was totally brain-rattling stuff. What do you mean, Sabbath, Saturday? That, that, that's Jewish Day. Uh, obviously, we had no backing in, background in the Bible. We didn't understand and this was going to ruin my life. So <laughs> I didn't want any part of it. Um, 
But my father insisted. He was the patriarch of the family. And, uh, yeah, you could disagree, but it's his way of the highway. So uh, we eventually had no choice but to go with him. And, in fact, what we went to was a uh, a Bible series, a uh, Bible study series that was being held by the pastor of the church. And it was being held in a school hall somewhere. I forget where. It was after I went there grudgingly and forcibly, I sat down. And as he began to speak, the pastor, and he started to share Daniel 2 and 7 and 11 and so on, my brain went through a mini meltdown because all the things that I had been searching for were being answered. And they're undeniable. They're there as fact in the Bible. And they're as fact as history. So after a while of study, um, my father uh, was approached by the pastor and said, how do you feel about being baptized, you and your family? Oh, well, he said, I'm all for it. And um, it wasn't that much longer before we all, as a family, uh, were baptized on the same day. So that's how we ended up in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and uh, being associated with it. Okay, so would it be fair to say that you became an Adventist because your father um, became an Adventist. Had he not become an Adventist, you would not have become an Adventist? Quite possibly, mm. quite possibly. But, but had I gone through that series with or without him, there is no doubt on my mind I still would have become an Adventist. Mm, okay. It was simply turning up that was the issue. <laughs> okay. Now, you, you um, graduated from university with a Bachelor of Engineering in Electronics you yep. moved to Sydney for work and you settled in the defence industries and yes. worked there for many years. And then you moved back uh, to Melbourne in the early 90s. Now, the yep. 90s was right. a very pivotal decade for you. Tell us how you met and married your wife. Uh, this is an even longer story, which I'll try and keep exceptionally short. Now, you have to understand, back in the early to mid-90s, this is when this concept of um, the internet was just being... It's just coming through. People had these weird boxes in their houses that make noises, and then he finally connected up to some page somewhere. It was very slow, very cumbersome. Um, but the reason that I was um, involved with that was because I had a friend of mine, a very dear friend who sadly since has passed, but he lived in a suburb so far away from my suburb that I was staying in in Melbourne that back in those days, you had to pay a toll charge. And he was, he was just too cheap to pay the toll charge. He told me so. He said, get this internet and we can talk on the internet. We could chat. So he, he told me what I needed to buy and where to buy it and all the rest. And I did that. So while I was doing work at night, I'd be playing around with this internet thing in between times. So I installed the, the modem, installed the cabling, the computer. This was a massive investment, of course. But anyway, I connected all that stuff up and he told me what package to install that we could use to at least text chat with each other. This is all foreign to me, but okay, I'll go along. And the minute the package installed, um, instantaneously came back with hello. Mr. Gullible here didn't know what that meant. I just figured it meant that hello, I've installed or something to the effect. So I called my friend up and said, look, I've just installed this package of yours and uh, it says hello. What do I do now? He said, say hello back. I said, to what? The machine? He goes, no, talk. There's somebody online 
talking with you now. Oh, I says, okay. So I replied, hello. Little did I know that that first millisecond of connection on the, on, on the actual application had put me in touch with this lady in Russia who was working in a bank and it was daylight over there. It was her working day and she um, basically just started asking general questions and I asked general questions. And this was going on like every day, it seemed. Like I said, well, nice talking to you. I've got to get on with my work now. See you later. I thought that was the end of it. This thing kept track of who you talked to and obviously she knew how to get back to me. And so there we go again. Same time every day. Hello. And that's where we started. Well, I guess that puts a different spin on the term of blind date, Caleb. Oh, it's just beyond blind. <laughs> well, you, it's terrible. You eventually uh, did get married. Um, and yes, strangely. Yes, and then you followed work again and you moved to Perth. Um, now, your wife wasn't a Christian. In fact, no. she, she, was, she was an atheist. Communist. How was your family affected by your wife's atheistic views? I mean, you're a Seventh-day Adventist. You would have gone yeah. through the whole equally yoked sort of argument. How did you reconcile that, and how was family affected by, by your decisions? Firstly, I, uh, I struggled with the whole notion. I really struggled because I knew that I should not be unequally yoked. For my family... Well, they, they were happy to see me get married anyway. I mean, it had been a long time. Uh, they were concerned for my well-being. In fact, they were concerned for my very being. Like, I mean, are you maybe not interested in women? No, that's not the issue. The issue is I'm just way too busy and never had the opportunity. But they did counsel me, be careful, make sure she, she is along the lines of your thinking and that you could uh, have mm. a... Uh, long-term relationship. I prayed. I did honestly pray very hard. It was not easy. It seemed like everything in the world that could be against it was against it, from governments to courts, because she had been previously divorced. She had a little boy who was about four years old. I mean, this could not get more complicated and more messy than what it was. It's as if there was a roadblock at every turn, and, and it was expensive to work through it. it, the whole arrangement, I dare say, cost me the price of a house just to get it done and have her come out and, and um, eventually get married. But I was very, very concerned myself. But I, I somehow derived wrongfully now, I see, that um, it was okay. And this is a trap. Don't let your emotions override your logic don't let your emotions override what you know to be true. And this is a mistake. I call it the sin that I made, that I went down that path. So with that, Caleb, you family started. I mean, your children started to come along. How, yes. would, how would you describe your relationship with God in those years in Perth, raising a young family? You would have had um, goals and ideals of putting your children through Christian schools and um, going to church together. How did all that yeah. play out in those years? What Can you describe that to us? It was not easy. Uh, first, broaching a topic with my wife to have her agree to the fact that, look, you know, keep, 
kids need to grow up in a in a more wholesome environment than perhaps a state school can provide. And that I believe fully that her son first and following on our children together should attend a Christian school. I didn't have access to an Adventist school at the time, but I certainly had a Christian school, non-denominational, not far from our home, and actually taught uh, K through 12. So in the end, they could all be at the same school together, which made travel easy and so on. So, you know, I, I didn't begrudge her son, I think. I made sure that he had as much and as good as everyone else of our children. On that basis, she said, okay, so she'll um, she'll go along with it. Kelly, if I could just explore that point with your, your wife's views. Now, she was yeah. an atheist, and as you said earlier, she was a communist. Yes. Was she um, hostile towards Christianity, or was she yeah. okay for you to do your own thing as long as you didn't bother her with it? What? How was her view towards you being a Christian? She's definitely hostile. She would not accept it because she she would she saw school a school. This is a private school. Send send her son first, and in quick succession the others. So her son was getting a really good deal going to a private school, which isn't cheap, as you would know. Um, but she was hostile because I, I had tried to go to church and she abjectly refused to enter an Adventist church and she gave me all these anecdotes of how they were derided in Russia. And Christianity outside the Russian Orthodox faith was generally unacceptable. Well, that's how she put it. Um, so, yeah, she, she was not uh, a happy traveller when it came to church. So you were basically in the house. You were really on a theological sort of spiritual level. You were in different worlds. Now, totally God, different planets. Yeah. So let's, let's sort of fast forward now. You've been in Perth for a lot of years. It's now 2017. Yeah. You've got four children, um, yeah. one adopted and three biological children of your own. Yes. You were now a senior technical manager in a medical equipment company, and you you were at the pinnacle of your career. You've had um, yep. you've had worldwide patents uh, awarded to you. Um, you've got the runs on the board in your profession, so to speak. Yes. And but this that year, things changed dramatically. Oh yeah. Walk, us, walk, walk us through that year because this sets up your story for the next five years. So walk us through 2017. Well, 2017 was a was a what can I call it a, a monumental, pivotal year in my life. Um, not for good reasons either. Um, things were going well. I mean, as I, as far as I could see it, uh, we were reaching our goals, and you know, we were moving on with life. Even though I was disappointed, I couldn't get the kids to church because the wife was a bit disinterested. Let's put it. But nevertheless, I carried on with my life. Around this, uh, September of that year, mid, mid-September of that year, uh, I got a call from Melbourne to advise me that my mother had passed away and I should make my way to Melbourne for, for the funeral. So I um, came to Melbourne. I came by myself, funnily enough. My wife found an excuse why she couldn't come with me. She'd come later, she said. Um... I got the old kiss on the on the cheek as I left the house in in our home in Perth and arrived in Melbourne and went through the, the normal things for preparation of the funeral. 
by the time the funeral was to be held, um, she had arrived. But the whole situation was a bit odd because she wasn't at all engaged with me in any sense of the word, didn't even stay with me, decided to stay with her son who's moved to Melbourne, um, made the excuse that it was a good a good chance to catch up with him and all the rest. I mean, I, I found it bizarre, but at the end of the day, well, look, fair enough. I didn't think twice about it. Um, I had more important things to worry about. And... Um, after the funeral, she flew home. She was never. She never spent a minute with me thereafter, nor during the funeral, nor during the um, uh, what would you call it, the wake afterwards. Uh, it was just a very cool. Even people picked up on it. So it was very cold, very, very strange attitude, which I couldn't couldn't place and couldn't understand, given what I thought the good relations that we had. So this is this is where this is where the bottom fell out of our relationship though. I was to find out just a week or so later uh, via an email that I received from my wife that um, sorry about, about a month later, not a week or two, about a month later to tell me that um, she no longer wished to maintain the marriage, she wanted to dissolve it, that she'd been lying to me and deceiving me for so many years, she just got tired of doing it, and she just wanted to be free to live her life. I found that very bizarre. Caleb, this, this completely blindsided you. You had no idea Absolutely. this was coming. And no. you, you, had, you had an indication that there was um, an estrangement there. She, there was a coldness, but you would, in your wildest dreams, have never have thought she would have done this. No. No, this, this was beyond any imagination of mine or anybody else's. Everybody was blindsided. Me, most of all. It was just, so, so where did it come from? T- tell us the effect this had on you physically, Caleb. Look, the, the immediate effect on me was financial because by the time she had sent all this through, she had made sure to, to max all my credit cards, empty our bank accounts. Um, you know, all of a sudden, where I was financially well off, I became destitute, I had nothing. Uh, Beyond that, uh, she did write to me that I was to cease communicating with her, that she had, prior to her arrival in Melbourne, had taken up uh, court orders and uh, issued domestic violence orders against me, which were bizarre. I, I have never been violent towards anybody, let alone my I th- as I thought, my nearest and dearest. Um, this was all completely unbelievable. So I was prevented by law from returning to my home or I'd be arrested if I went there. So all of a sudden I was just out out in the street. So with, um, with your uh, Middle Eastern background where family is so important, um, yeah. suddenly you're without a family Correct. How did you without fa- finances. Without finances. And you've gone from being a successful engineer uh, with, metaphorically speaking, lots of money in the bank to being cleaned yeah. out. Yeah. Mentally, how did you cope? My mind began to uh, crumble. I mean, we talk about mental health. And it is such an important issue. Men suffer tremendously under separation and divorce. 
simply because the laws are so set up as to be against the male and for the female. And I, I'm the first to say the female should be supported too, but not to such an extent that the male is left destitute without hope, which is where I was left. So my mind began to crumble. I was fortunate, I'd say more than fortunate, I was blessed in that the Lord provides me with a very strong family here in Melbourne, and they all took me in and looked after me. But my mental state got to a point where I was no longer fit mentally. I had crumbled. So this is where I can come into the story because I recall very well um, getting a, a text message from on my phone from you. And at first I saw, you know, your name and, oh, great. So I read the message. And it was basically briefly a message saying that, um, you know, your wife had left and uh, could you please give me a call? And I did give you a call and I remember well that call in December of 2017 because um, what I heard on the other end of the phone really distressed me. Um, I was deeply concerned for you. I mean, at, at that time you were medicated and you were a volatile mixture of agonising grief and white-hot anger. Yes. How did you get to that stage? Just the injustice of it all. Just to see that all the years you have sacrificed, all the, all the kindness, empathy and compassion you have shown, you never withheld anything from her or the children, always ensuring they had more than I did. All the years of life that have just now been erased, to have nothing, to be nobody, and to have nowhere to call home. Yes, family will look after you, but for how long? How long can you, you know, be around before you overstay your welcome? Thankfully, my family doesn't see it in those terms, but I very much did. It was, it was simply my mind literally dissolving. Yeah, and the other thing which... Um Again, I recall a, another very difficult phone call with you, Caleb. Hmm. And again, the, the anger that was causing through your veins was yeah. actually making you sick. And yes. I can recall having a discussion with you, telling you, saying to you that you have to forgive her for what she's done. And your reaction on the other end of the phone was, um, was agonizing to listen to. I won't say you were wailing, but I could, I could tell this was deeply distressing, the concept of forgiveness for the injustice. Caleb, yes. how did you get to a stage where you could forgive? How was your relationship with God? How did, where did you think God was? Where were you with God at this, at this stage? I had been in a – I had self-admitted myself to a psychi psychiatric ward because I knew – I was not well. I'd even considered suicide and how I'd achieve it. But everything I looked at showed that in the end I could harm somebody else and that wasn't something I wanted to do, thankfully. But it was so easy to do. But I recognised then that if I was to die in that condition, I had no salvation. So I knew I was mentally um, disturbed, quite literally. And I admitted myself to a psychiatric ward and this is where I guess my relationship with God really came into play. Um, 
up until that point, it was all about me, me, me. I mean, I'm just suffering. What am I going to do, Lord? The bills don't stop. Uh, you know, and the bills are so conveniently sent to you by email, you can't even pretend you're not home. They'll send it to you by email. You'll get the phone calls. And every one of these things just adds a little bit more to the load you're carrying, knowing that full well you have no way of paying off any of this. It was a disaster. I couldn't turn left or right. I had my back to the wall and I knew it. I had no financial resources, nor would I ever, ever ask family for a cent, not for this. But it's been a long time, but I basically closed my eyes and I prayed to God. I said, Lord, I really, really need you now because I'm at a point where no human agency can save me. I need you right now. You know my needs. Calabar, I call too. At, at the time this was going on, um, you sent me a photograph. I think it was a picture on your dressing table of all the medications you were taking per day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You were really drugged up for all manner of things. Uh, your, your medication bills were enormous at that stage. Yes. And I, I do recall also that you rang us one day because you had maxed out on your pain-killing medication. Yeah. And you were in pain, unbearable pain. Yes. And we, my wife and I had prayer with you and asked God to take away the pain. Yes. And God answered that prayer immediately. He did. He did. I recall that. He did. It was instantaneous. It was so instantaneous, I was incredulous. And I, I think that God did that for you at that stage because your faith was such that you needed a real manifestation that God was right yes. with you. And I that, that was the way he said, don't worry, Caleb, I'm right with you. Yep. So that was the initiation of our relationship. Remember, I asked him, I need him now. I, I couldn't see how I'd survive tomorrow. And all of a sudden, God answered. And it was in a very tangible sense. You've mentioned the prayer. And the pain diminished instantly. I put to the Lord the mountain of debt that was left to me by her and how I was going to get out of it. Hmm. I had no money. I had nothing. I checked my bank account uh, next day after I'd prayed, and there was a whole month's salary in there for me. That doesn't happen. That's not right. So I rang up the company that I used to work for, and I said, excuse me, um, I think you've done the wrong thing in your accounts. You've paid me a full month, and I haven't worked. This is not my money. It's yours. Tell me how to get it back to you. I remember my, my manager at the time that I spoke to said, thank you for letting me know. I'll check it out. He came back to me and said, don't worry about it. We, we want you to have this money. I said, for what? He said, because we want to. I said, that's, that's incredible. Why would you give me so much money? He goes, because we want to. Just accept it for what it is. Again, this was, a, this was a manifestation that God was showing you he was there, and he was showing you in real, really amazing ways. Real. Uh, you, you, were, you were very much struggling for money at that stage, and I recall the conversation we had. You didn't know how you were going to survive, and suddenly money starts pouring into your bank account. Absolutely. And the thing is, this wasn't the last payment. It wasn't that long after before I received another month's salary. I said, this is, this is not true. This is not right. 
I did the same deal, rang them back. And same old story. We choose to give you the money. We want you, we decided you needed help. How would they know I need help? God spoke to their hearts. God spoke to their hearts. Yeah, spoke to their hearts and they gave me money. Not only they. At the time, I had two leased vehicles. That's a lot of money. I rang up the finance companies. I, I explained to them where I was, what has happened, where I am financially and all the rest of it. So they took these notes and they said they'll get back to me and see what they can do. They rang me back. One said, if you just give us back our car, we'll call it paid off. I said, okay, so you come by any time, pick it up. And they did. And they cancelled the loan. No more payments. Another finance company, which I had a lease car with, I told them the same story. When they came back after their deliberations, told me that they just felt it would be inhuman of them to take any further money from me. So how about we do this? Consider the loan paid and keep the car. I remember, Caleb, when you told me that at the time, I said, Caleb, God's just given you a car. (laughs) He did. He did. So again, God was showing you that despite all that's happened, he was going to look after you and to trust him. But yes. also, he had, he had work for you to do too. Tell us about how you ended up going to, to church again. <laughs> well, when I came out of hospital and I was discharged and I was medicated adequately, I came home and began to think of my life and what it is that I yearned for, and that was to go to church. So it's the old adage, you know, you, the church across town has got to be better than the church next door. So I start looking up. I knew there was a church not that far from me from where I was living at the time, but I I thought I'd look up some of the new ones. I mean, I'm not obligated to go to one or the other. I'll just start new, and I started looking at different churches. And as I looked at these churches, they're all across town, minimum 20-minute drive, half-hour drive, 40-minute drive. I said, yeah, okay, I can do one of those. Uh, So I picked one. That same week, my father had bought himself some bits and pieces for his bathroom he was renovating, asked me to carry in the heavy load myself. Of course, I was younger and fitter. So I picked up this heavy lump of a box that said two men lift, but I was as strong as two men, so I could do it until I picked it up and went, ah, and that was my back going out. (laughs) Now I was walking around hunched over like Groucho Marx, And uh, I couldn't walk, I couldn't sit, I couldn't lie, I couldn't do anything. So I decided, no, I still want to go to church. This is not going to hold me up, but I definitely can't go across town. I'll just have to go to the local church around the corner, which was about two kilometres away. I mean, had I been fit, I could have walked there. But in any case, I decided to go there. So I put on my, my best clobber and I decided to go to church. First time in a very long time. And so I... um, began making my way to the church very gingerly. I got there, parked my car. I figured somebody will, will, will welcome me and show me about. And I got there in time for Sabbath school. In fact, they were just wrapping up the pre-Sabbath school service. So I decided to stay outside in the foyer. As it turned out, there was a Sabbath school class in the foyer, adult class, and I was invited to join. And I joined that class and I was so happy. It's been so long. It's been so long, and I enjoyed myself thoroughly. Um, and people got to meet me and shake my hand and whatever, but uh, 
The funny bit was, at the end of the uh, Sabbath school, the, the head elder that was leading out, he was also in charge of Sabbath school and handing out classes. So he was looking around who he could catch to palm off a class to, to take for the following week. So he's looking around. There's not too many prospects. They're all sort of looking around themselves, so, except me. So he said, um, he walked up to me and said, yeah, would you mind doing a Sabbath school class next week? So, so, so Caleb, this is this is not a small church. Um, no, I've, be, I've been to that Sabbath school class, and I recall there's probably thirty people in it, and it's a big right. it's a big church, and this is the first time you've been back in church for what twenty years, and he's asking you to take the, he's asking yeah. you to take the lesson the next week. Take Sabbath school class. Do you, do you think he was taking a risk? I think it was taking a risk because I was going, how do I – I mean, I didn't want to say no because maybe that's God's leading and I don't want to thwart his plans. And I didn't want to say anything. I, th- I thought I'd go with the flow. But, but, I mean, seriously, I wouldn't have picked me. You wouldn't know me from a bar of soap. I mean, who am I? I just walked in hunched over a Groucho Marx. I just needed a big fat mo, and I, I would have been Groucho Marx the way I walked in. But anyhow, I accepted. And that was uh, the beginning of a – a really long story because I came next week, I was all prepared, and it was all about the sanctuary, um, and I took the lesson and I uh, had notes and all the rest of it and slides and so on, um, and, I, and I was quaking in my boots, um, but I gave I gave the, the Sabbath school class. Everybody was somehow amazingly spellbound, um, and then at the end of it all, um, I hadn't finished the lesson, but time was up. I said, "Well, folks, I'm sorry. You've got the notes. You know where I was going with this. Well, well you can you can sort of finish it off in your, at your leisure. But thanks very much for your invitation." So, so Caleb, when you say spellbound, you thought they were spellbound through boredom. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> it. They were too bored. <laughs> too bored. So we'll sleep a bit. Like, how could you take so long? But. Nevertheless, they did thank me, and I, I, you know, I thought that was the end of it. But I hadn't finished the lesson. I was about three quarters of the way through. What what happened thereafter, though, is what amazed me. They all, you, together in unison, said, "That's not the end of it. We want to hear the end of it." I said, "But the lesson's over." Yeah, yeah, I know. But we we got access to the church. We can come back this afternoon and finish it. For one reason or another, they couldn't uh, do it that day. It had to be the next Sabbath which after fellowship lunch, we went to a private room, except this time there was more people in the Sabbath school class than I had in the original class. They'd been talking around the church. So I had far more people than I, I had catered for. So you went from taking a Sabbath school lesson one Sabbath to finishing yeah. it the following Sabbath, but taking a whole afternoon program. Pretty much, pretty, pretty much. And I was amazed by that and so thankful to God that he was still willing to inspire me and lead me in understanding. And I think too, Caleb, it sent you a message that you, God had work for you to do, that um, yes, you'd been out for 20 years, and I recall you yep. telling me that a man came up to you and said to you that he'd That's been right. waiting 20 years to hear a message like you gave. That, and, that amazed me. Yeah. I mean, you'd been out of the church for 20 years, and he'd been waiting 20 years. So it was almost yeah, like God saying, to me, you're yeah. back in church. I've got work for you to do. Absolutely. I mean, I was amazed when the gentleman came up, shook my hand very robustly and said, I've been waiting 20 years to hear that. 
and it just floored me. I, I, I was, I was so humbled by that. It's unbelievable. It was glorious. Thank God. Now, Caleb, a lot's happened after that. Um, you went to yep. Israel. Uh, you, you, yes. end, you end up working for a, an Israeli company. Uh, they sent you to Israel for the project. Yes. And you had experiences there. But I want to talk about something else that's happened. You started to notice pain appearing in your abdomen. Tell us about yes. that. Yeah, well, around that time, I, I, mentally at least, I was lucid. I was clear thinking I could do a job and I was responsible. So it wasn't an issue. Um, but I began to get odd pains in my abdomen, pains which my GP couldn't quite figure out. And then I started to bleed internally. Um, that was something that caught me off guard. So things were going wrong. Um, I was hurriedly whisked off to hospital. I was in a very bad condition. This is after my last trip to Israel. I was in a significantly bad condition by then. Um, so much so that, in fact, the, the, the last trip to Israel, I had the pleasure of having my GP and a whole bunch of other people uh, attend Israel as well for a tour, and I enjoyed their company, obviously. Um, I, she, my GP was so concerned for me, she was prepared to cancel her flight back so she could fly out with me when I was ready to go. Uh, she was so concerned for my condition. When I got back to Melbourne, um, I was in a very bad place. I was in a very, very bad place, and... Uh, Thankfully, my sister recognised I was uh, unwell, took me straight to one of the larger hospitals here in Melbourne, one that she'd been treated at herself and trusted. And when I arrived in the emergency department, I was effectively uh, just wheeled in. And, um, yeah, they got to work on me. Every department was called because, as I heard Later in my treatment with the specialists or whatever, they said to me, when I came in, I barely had two weeks to live. I was that far gone. So this pain, which began fairly innocuously, began to spread and increase and go to much different places. It caused enormous havoc with my system. Um, and it has left me with issues to this day. But at that point, I was... Um, yeah, I was judged having two weeks to go before my demise. But they did everything they could, and praise God again, uh, they were able to pull me back from the brink. I just want to share with you, Caleb, uh, another incident that happened. With you, this is in July of 2019. Yeah. Again, you called, and I, I answered the phone, and you called me from. Uh, I believe it was the Austin Hospital. Yes. You were in uh, ICU. Yes. You were in agonising pain. You told yes. me that um, the medical staff did not expect you to last the night. No. That you said to me that your um, heart rate was close to 200, your blood pressure was off the Richter yeah. scale, um, your temperature was somewhere high 30s, maybe 40, I forget now, but very, very yeah. high. All yes. your vital signs were, were literally gone. Yeah. And yes. you've, you sort of rang me to sort of say, can we have prayer? 
um, because I may not be here and I can recall your voice was just so weak and I, again, it, it really shocked yeah. me. Yeah. So I immediately uh, contacted uh, um, some close friends of ours who we regularly pray with yeah. and we on the spot had a prayer session. This was about, I think you called me around about 5.30 in the afternoon, might have been 5 o'clock. Yeah, yeah. And we immediately had prayer um, for, your, for your life. Yes. And then when we finished prayer, we left all in the hands of God. Yes. Caleb, tell, tell the listeners what happened, and you rang me back about 7 o'clock. Tell us what happened. Well... Again, uh, and I would say uh, miraculously, and I don't use that word lightly, miraculously, <laughs> things began to fall into place. This was totally unexpected. When you reach that point, there is no coming back. I came back from it. Somehow, some way, and I know who that was that did that was the Lord God, pulled me back, put, put in place the measures necessary for, to allow me to let all my vitals return to a, at least a condition that can be managed. Because where I was, nothing could be done. All that can be done had been done. And that's why I was told, uh, you know, you, you basically say your goodbyes because you may not be around. And that's what I did. Um, it was quite genuine. It was real. It was happening. I, I could feel myself slipping away. But I began to recover. Strength began to come to, to come to me. I began to um, see that it needn't be this way. And again, I simply continued praying that God, that His will be done. That I do not fear death. If that's His will, so be it. But that if I have anything that I could contribute to His mission here on earth, I'm more than happy to. Just give me the strength. And slowly but surely, strength came. I wasn't cured, but I was a lot better than what I was. And so this is, this is again, you know, tangible response to prayer. I know people um, say you pray to God and he answers 10 years later. Well, I don't believe that. I believe he answers instantly. You see the effect 10 years later, well, the, the, potentially. That, that was instantly because I recall yes. you telling me um, yes. what your, your nurse told you the next morning. <laughs> she yes. said... She was extremely surprised to see you were still there. That's right. I should I should have been uh, covered by a sheet and moved on to another place. She thought you were going to check out that night. That's and, it. Uh, I believed it. And, yeah. But God had other plans for you. God had other plans, many other plans. And I mean, the whole I, – I at the start of it, I mean, the, the, what I'm suffering from was such a such an awful thing. It's not curable. Uh, I am waiting for an organ transplant. Um, I wait on the Lord, His will be done, but it has its, uh, it has its uh, influence on my well-being, obviously. But I, at the start, I found that I was not happy about my situation. Who would be? You know, it's like, like Job almost asking God, why me? I mean, what have I done? <laughs> well, I hadn't done anything, simply these things needed to be so I could focus on the Lord because I was at a position where nothing else can help. No surgeon, no doctor, no medicine. The only thing between you and eternity is Christ. So you have to hold on tight, and I did. I held on tight, and I still do. 
So my view of, um, how can I put it, uh, my illness has over now the years somewhat changed because I recognized something was given to me that I didn't have before. And that thing that was given to me was the ability to witness the people in hospital. Now that they have forbidden um, clergy or uh, any other uh, Christian influence in, ch- in, in hospitals to come along, chaplains and the like, um, there really is no support for people in trouble. And here I was in a ward of people dying and I was able to share the word of God with them then as now, every opportunity I get. And, and Caleb, just, just with that witnessing, um, that's extremely important because the people that you're often put into, a, you know, you're in a ward and there's a person in the bed next door, some of those folk are in extremely bad shape. Yes. Men- mentally, they don't yes. know the Lord. They're, fr- no. they're, they're frightened. They're yes. under tremendous pain, and you're able to mm. pray with them and talk to talk to them about God. And that's what I do. I, I mean, I'm exactly in the same condition as they, the difference being I have Christ to hold on to. Mm. But I can see the fear in their eyes and the anguish because the life they thought they will have has been taken from them. They're not going to achieve the things they wanted. They're not going to see their children grow or see their grandchildren grow. Uh, it's really an awful situation to physically understand you are dying and you have days or hours left to you. And these people don't know where they're going to go. How, how, what is their reaction after you've had prayer with them? They're very thankful, very thankful. You'd be amazed. They they are in a situation where it's not theoretical. I mean, you have your atheists who theorize and philosophize. That's all, yeah, more wind in the in the room than is necessary. But uh, these people are dying. They're, they're facing it. Death is close. And um, to be able to go, and I'd, I'd have to get up out of my bed, drag a pole with lots of pumps and whatnots hanging off and tubes stuck all over me as well. So I'm in the same position they're in. But I would walk up to them and say, um, would you like to have a prayer with me? I have not been rejected yet. And there have been either young women and young men or older women and older men. But you look in their face and you know they're dying and you know they have no hope. And all I can do is tell them it is not the end. This is not the end. I guess it highlights that God has a work for each of us. This is a hard ministry, though, what God's put you in because... You have to, you're walking the talk. Um, you're dealing with people that are suffering tremendously. They're on the yes. edge of death. And likewise, you can relate to them. And they know that because you're in the next bed also yes. in a similar sort of state. But it, I'm not afraid. That's what they notice. But your, your witnessing isn't just to sick people. Tell us about other people you witness to, Caleb, in the hospital. Oh, I mean... Obviously, when, you, when you're meeting with uh, specialists and so on, I mean, these, these are not your run-of-the-mill GP. These are professors of medicine in dif- different disciplines and, and all the rest of it. And I had on one occasion, I um, was meeting with one such gentleman, a professor of medicine who was in charge of my overall treatment and, and so on. And I, and I, again, they, they always repeat the risks involved. I said, look, what risks is involved? I've got, a, I've got an illness that'll kill me either way. 
So if what you're doing is dangerous, it's not as dangerous as a shortcut, you're going to die. So I'll take any bet. You know, go for it. I'm happy for it. Do what you need to. Don't worry about me. I'm not afraid. Why am I not afraid? I said, because I have the living God. And there's a living God who looks after me. And he, he is the one that motivates you to do what you do. And I began to relay to this gentleman my story, how God has stood by me and all the miracles that I had seen and were done to me, physical. They're not theory. I can point to when, where, and how. And then he, at the end of that talk with him, he, he, he sat down on his chair in his office and looked at me, and he said to me, well, then, there must be a God. And that, that, was, <laughs> that was unexpected. That was totally unexpected, that um, there's at least an acknowledgement. Because people at that level, they're usually trained, at, obviously, in universities, which are atheist in their point of view. Um, you know, whether there is or there isn't a God, it doesn't much matter to them. But, but the fact that he was able to relate, relate to it and say, well, and uh, there really must be a God then. I said, yeah, you can, you can, you can bank on that. There is a God. And so you do to me what you need to do. Don't be afraid. Hmm. I'm not. Can so I, it's just one of the many. Re- recently you, you received a call at about midnight. Um, tell us about that call. Well, I've been on a transplant list now for a, a very long while. Um, midnight of Thursday, going back now about th- three, four weeks or so, I think, um, you know, I go to sleep, put my mobile phone on the table next to me and go to sleep. I had barely closed my eyes when my phone rings. Of course, my first reaction is it's probably some scammer or somebody trying to sell me insurance or whatever it is, get a survey done. I wasn't inclined to answer, but I decided to answer anyway. So I, it said the un, uh, unknown number. Now, that usually means it's a hospital or something else. Oh, well, let me, let me answer it. I'm not expecting the hospital. And the, and the phone replies, um, this is the transplant coordinator at the hospital. Um, I need you to come in real fast. We have an organ ready for you. And, of course, I'm half asleep. I said, sorry, excuse me, I missed all of that. What did you say? She said, I need you to get into the hospital as fast as you can because we've got an organ ready for you. You're going to get your transplant. So I was completely stunned, obviously. Um, I, I, I didn't have any words to say other than I'll be right there. <laughs> so I quickly packed a little bag and um, grabbed the taxi and got off to go there and uh, I was there early in the morning obviously and they began the the total run up for for the transplant. takes a long time I never knew it was so laborious all the things they have to do to get me ready for transplant but anyway they they went through all that five minutes before I was meant to be wheeled into the operating Can can I just interrupt this part of the story Caleb because you you called me. I got a text message from you. Oh yes, yes. Uh, early yes. in the morning, I didn't actually pick up my text messages till about ten o'clock, <laughs> and and the text message basically said, um, "An organ's available. I've been taken to hospital. I'm being prepped." Um, yeah. Along those lines, so I immediately contacted you, yeah. um, to say we'll have prayer. 
so I got the same focus before and we had a prayer session for you because yeah. the surgery that you're about to go through is not <laughs> trivial surgery. It's no, pretty it's significant. It's it's very, very long and it's significant. And yes. um, so we had prayer that God would have his hand over the surgeons, the yes. nursing staff, all the medical staff, anaesthetists, um, that he would preserve your life. And yes. we, again, all prayed, and then we left it in the hands of the Lord, and Absolutely. we all prayed, thy will be done. Yes. So continue. <laughs> if I could just... Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's true. And, that, and this is where I was saying, I mean, I've been prepped. They did all that needs to be done. Uh, very laborious and tedious and somewhat painful process, but okay, you go through it. And literally, um, I was scheduled for surgery at 12 o'clock or noon the day after, so just made it in time with all my prep work and literally five minutes prior to going into surgery, we got a call from the surgeon saying they're not going to go ahead because the organ that they had for me, they tested and realised was not good enough. And had they put that in, I'd be in a worse place than what I am at the moment. So yes, God did answer that prayer. Had they gone and put that organ in, I wouldn't be here talking to you now. So God answers. God absolutely answers in very tangible, very real and obvious ways. Well, it's an amazing story how God intervened uh, because his will was done. Uh, yes. You may have had an organ put in you that could have ultimately taken your life. Now, Correct. Caleb, we're going to take a short break here um, yep. and then we're going to provide details of how to contact you and then we'll come yes. back and conclude. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 02-4973-3456. Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to By the Word of Their Testimony. We've been interviewing Caleb Christian. And uh, as you've probably been listening, Caleb has had um, a dramatic health reversal and the effect that's had on his life and what, how he's been able to work for God with that, um, that situation. Caleb, with the time we have left, what message would you give to the listeners from your experience? Well, the message I would give is, all untold, the most important is forgive. Forgive those who are your debtors. Forgive those who have hurt you. Forgive those who have stolen from you. Forgive anybody who's done anything towards you that is unwelcome. You must forgive from the bottom of your heart, not just lip service. Um, in my case, I forgave everybody and anybody who in any way hurt me, not least of which my former wife. I, no lo I do not curse her. I, I no longer seek her demise, but I ask God always to bless her, to find her and lead her to repentance, and I always claim the shed blood of Christ for her. She knows no better. And I pray the Lord find her and the Lord lead her to repentance. So you must forgive. You must reach that point because the only person you're going to hurt if you don't 
is really a self-forgive, ultimately. And Kayla, once you've forgiven, you're in a position where God can use you as he's used you uh, for, for reaching out for others. And your situation has been remarkable in that the people that God has put you in touch with to reach out to. Yes. So, again, forgiveness is, is number one. But mean it. It should not be lip service. Kayla, with, with, the, with the minute we've got to go, you and I have often discussed that famous text, Romans 8.28. What does that mean to you? Well, you know, nobody would look at a person who's sick like me and say that was a good thing. That's a bad thing. Well, I beg to differ. I think that that disease that I am with now, the illness that I have, is a gift from God because it has opened doorways to me that I would never have entered before. I can witness to people who no one else can reach or witness to. So don't judge it good or bad. Judge it is that it is what God determines for you now. Nothing happens without his say-so. And if he's allowed it, there's a reason. Well, great advice. And thank you, Caleb, for sharing this part of your story where, where God has sustained you and blessed you in a very difficult family breakup. Dear listener, thank you for joining us today on our program by the word of their testimony. Do join again, us again next time, and God bless. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.